0: We are recording. Hey, everyone, we're back. Everyone, good? It's a nice day out there.
1: Yeah, we're
2: starting to get some spring weather finally.
0: Finally, yeah. So, um, and that you know what spring means that means that things are starting to ramp up in many, many ways. And the conversation we're having today is about what's happening out on the streets. And anybody who lives between Sag Harbor and East Hampton knows that Route 114 is currently being repaved, a very, very, very needed repaving job. It was kind of pothole city. So we have a lot of traffic tie-ups and backups between East Hampton and they're paving all the way to the Shelter Island Ferry in North Haven, which is great, but it does cause some problems on the road where you have to wait for the rollers to go by. And then we also have down in Wainscott, it looks like they're starting to lay the necessary cables and whatnot that is going to be involved with the offshore wind farm. So that whole back road is also a bit of a uh, in a bit of a conundrum right now because people get stuck there and the other night I saw that they had shut down Montauk highway through Wayne Scott I guess it's part of that project so it's kind of a mess and it's a good time to take the train um, or a ferry but we have issues with those as well so with us today again is Joe Shaw hey Joe how are you
2: hey Annette I'm Joe Shaw I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group
0: and also, Brendan J. O'Reilly is here. Hey, Brendan, how are you?
3: Hi, I'm Brendan. I'm the Deputy Managing Editor.
0: And we also have with us Bill Sutton, but he's not currently in the room. Um, Bill Sutton's the Managing Editor, but he's having internet issues. So we will bring Bill back in when we can. And I'm Annette Hinkle, and I'm the Arts and Living Editor of the Express News Group.
2: Even the inter- information superhighway is, is tough to access on the east end. yes.
0: I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I've been having my Internet seems kind of like wanky lately, too. And I don't know if that's just a function of are more people out here or is it just or is it because they're digging up the road to put in cables and they keep cutting off my I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but it's kind of a mess. Bill, we already
1: introduced you. Say hi. Hi, and I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group.
2: And look at that stable Internet. We found it on ramp.
1: I'm unstable today.
2: Yeah,
0: you are. unstable. that's OK. We talked around you. Don't set us up like that. We talked amongst
2: ourselves.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, you know, as, as much of a nightmare as it is, is like 114 being paved, and I think they've done a really amazing job. And they shut it down small sections at a time. It's like, as as my husband said, it's like skating on a freshly zamboni pond you know the parts that they've finished which is very exciting you know having uh, feared losing rims and tires to what was there before everybody's very excited that 114 is getting paved um but it is kind of a, a challenge i mean you know well luckily they're not waiting until memorial day to do this because that's always great when they pick memorial day weekend to do um major
2: i always feel like i don't know if you guys agree but i feel like with road work I think most of us have a lot more patience for it if we know it's coming in advance and there's plenty of notice and, and you have some idea where it doesn't just surprise you and you don't know it's there. If you, if, you know, they did a nice job of letting everybody know these projects were, were coming and you can sort of plan around them. And I know the, the work for the trenching that's being done for the, the wind farm cable in particular is being done overnight. So any closures of Montauk, and that I would guess that by the time this podcast is released, all that work should be pretty well done, at least the first batch of it. I, I don't know if there's more to come. I suspect there might be more to come, but um, if, I feel like advanced notice of that stuff means a lot that, that if you if you know it's coming, you can sort of brace for it in advance.
3: Well, think about all the times that the tree trimming for the utilities starts at like 7 a.m. on the eastbound lanes on like a May weekday. And it never occurred to the utilities to tell the town that they were starting. And there's no way to tell them like you have to come back in September when the traffic's alleviated. It just always seems like everything has to happen at the worst part. Or, or time. start at,
1: or start at 10 a.m. instead of 7 a.m. It's like they don't care.
0: It's almost
3: like this. I think like
0: sometimes the, the state likes to do things at the most inconvenient time to those of us that live on right. East end. I don't know.
2: I mean, I feel like that's, that's the, that's always been a frustration for me too, is that when you see any kind of work being done along the two main arteries heading East and West during rush hour, it just makes no sense. The electric work, uh, the tree cutting, like you said, um, those things, I feel like, I don't know if the towns are, are vocal enough in reaching out and Southampton Town in particular in, in just saying that just can't happen. That The county and the state both have to be aware that that just can't happen. I remember that, I believe it was the, I believe it was the, uh, I believe it was the uh, examination of the bridge on Sunrise Highway that led to uh, the announcement recently that it's gonna need some new, it's gonna need some work done in 2024, I think it is. Uh, where they're going to short up but the inspections that were being done were being done in the middle of the afternoon rush hour on the bridge heading west and it caused a terrible traffic jam that day um it, it just it just seems senseless why why not do that work at noon when it won't have as much of an impact and why why start it at 3 30 3 3 30 and continue it into the rush hour it just it just almost
0: seems like passive aggressive spite doesn't it makes you wonder it does make me wonder I'm really wondering now yeah it's kind of interesting that uh, yeah everything's starting at the same time and I you know I wondered if if, if we wanted to talk about the commuter connection and this was a, a very successful and popular program in which the Long Island Railroad runs trains believe in Spionk we start and they go all the way to Montauk and they head um, east during the uh, the morning hours when teachers and educators and people who work at the hospital need to get to work. And then in the afternoon, they do the opposite run where they head west and they take the local workers back to where they may be parked in Spionk to go to their homes further west. But we got some news that the Long Island Railroad is looking to do something different with that line once the warmer weather arrives. So can we talk about that
3: a little bit? So. I, the South Fork Commuter Connection, the big controversy in the news now is that they want to cancel the Friday trains so they could run the Cannonball on Fridays. The Cannonball is this long-running LIRR train that gets you from Manhattan to the Hamptons as an express. So you don't need to make all the stops on the line. You basically get all the way to Spionk or maybe West Hampton, and then they start making stops out to Montauk. I'm not sure how old it is, but what I do know is that my uncle, who is in his late 60s, used to work on it uh, when he was young. He worked in like the bar car. So this goes back. The problem with running the Cannonball on Friday is now all those commuter connection trains that are supposed to run east and west, you can't run them all because you have to clear a path for the Cannonball because there's only one track.
0: What time does the cannonball get out to, like, say, Southampton? Is it just, is it one cannonball at an evening or afternoon? Or are there multiple cannonballs on Friday night?
2: I think it stops in, in West Hampton Beach at around 541. So it's sort of in the 5 to 6, you know, it's 5 to 630 range that, that makes the local stops.
0: And when does the commuter connection make those trips west then? I thought they were a little earlier than that, but...
3: So I can bring up the commuter connection schedule. It's changed, if, you know, it changes seasonally.
2: There, there are two trains, I think, and that's the the key that um, in the story we had, uh, it said that the first westbound train leaves Montauk at, oh, that's westbound. That's what we're talking about, right? Yeah, it's, it leaves Montauk at 248. Okay. And makes it to Speonk at 414. And the second train leaves Montauk at 452 and ends in West Hampton at 6.01. Okay. So it doesn't go all the way to Spionk. So it, and, and yeah, I mean, I think it's, it, at Brendan, Brendan's absolutely right. The Cannonball way predates the commuter connection. And I would argue is equally important as far as, I mean, and probably more so uh, as far as, you know, addressing, uh needs to access the east end we we need that cannonball train to be to be available on fridays uh i think it's essential but it's it but i think um assemblyman fred thiel who had a lot to do i think he was pretty much the architect of the south fork commuter connection and he said it's really not fair to say to people well you can commute four days a week but not five um unfortunately that may be the resolution to this for the summer
3: So I, I figured out when the cannibal started. You want to take a guess?
0: Sure. Uh, let's see. No, let me guess. Let's see. Um, nineteen seventy-three.
2: Joe, what's your guess? I'm gonna I'm gonna do the prices Right thing. I'm gonna say nineteen seventy-two. <laughs> Joe wins because it is eighteen ninety-nine. <laughs> oh my goodness! See, there you go. That's the Price is Right strategy there. Yeah. Uh, wow! Really? No, I'm surprised by that. I, I I did not realize there was enough uh, interest in the East End in, in the late 19th century. And
0: how fast could the Cannonball of 1899 possibly have gone? It was like a <laughs> three-day trip or something. <laughs>
2: More of a bowling ball.
3: Yeah, well, I, I think you know, the name Cannibal has less to do with the speed of the train and just more to do with the fact that they're not making frequent stops. Uh-huh. Well, it's also a nice reference to the Civil War, which wasn't that far away from 1899.
2: <laughs> wow, that's something. I'm, I'm...
0: Wow, today it would be today it would be the laser. You know, if you want to really get. It. So, I guess the name Cannibal should have tipped me off it was a 19th century invention. Silly me. Oh, the Cannonball is. <laughs>
3: I'm looking up the stops, and it looks like it it skips Spionk, which seems a little odd. And if it actually started in Spionk, you would probably, some commuters could actually get on it, I would bet. Yeah. Um, so the schedule right now runs through May 22nd, and then we'll have a completely different schedule uh, starting Memorial Day for the high season. Uh, I try to take this, and I've done it before, but it's seriously very inconvenient for someone like me because i'm in eastport my closest train station is spionk so i could go to spionk and get on a 616 a.m. train to get me to southampton at 6:45 a.m. and then to get home i would have to get on an afternoon train in southampton at let's see, one thirty-seven, and be home at 2.08 in the afternoon. Now, I don't know too many people whose work schedules run those hours because it's certainly not my hours. Um, The next train, which is not considered South Commuter Connection, but at least it's a train, will be 3.30 leaving Southampton, uh, getting back to Spionk at 4.14. That's a bit better. But then the 5.30 PM leaving Southampton doesn't have a spionk
2: stop it goes to west hampton it it goes to west hampton at 601 and that's it That, that first train that you're talking about though the one that arrives in spionk at 414 is part of the commuter connection i think those two trains that you're talking about are both part of the commuter connection those, those are considered that. The earlier one you mentioned may not be.
0: So are they talking about doing away with all of the commuter, quote unquote, commuter connection trains on Friday, even though some of them could obviously get back to Spionk before the cannonball comes roaring through?
2: Well, I think then it becomes, you know, it, if it's too early, as Brendan said, it doesn't really, it doesn't really meet a lot of commuters needs if it's too early.
0: Oh, but so they're not, they're thinking about not running any of those trains then? I'm Even the ones that wouldn't, interfere with the cannonball
2: they are talking about suspending friday service i believe brendan right
3: the, you know the problem becomes if you can run morning trains because they're unaffected by the cannonball but you can't run afternoon trains how does that help anybody Commuter.
0: but if there's still one you know if there's still one that comes back at you know gets you back at like four fifteen before the cannonball you
3: know there's some people who can take that I, but- I think the cannonball is probably already on the track by then. Yeah. Um, and then has but to. But I, I think if you, if, yeah, if you only ran it one way, you would leave people yeah, stranded that. is the issue.
0: Mm-hmm. I just thought maybe they could run some of the earlier commuter connections and just not run the very last one that um, would interfere. With the you board. know, I'm not
2: sure any of us has the answer to this, but uh, but I wonder why you couldn't use the cannonball train right. as it returns yeah. west. Yeah, as, Joe, why aren't you in charge could, of the LIRR? You've got that figured out. I've, you know? I've always been curious about some of those things, and there may be yeah. a perfectly plausible answer for why that doesn't work, but it seems like that might be an alternative. At least, you you had at least, I mean, that train has to get back to the west at some point. So right. when it's going back west again, maybe it picks, or I don't know, maybe it just turns into a, a local train as it goes back. I don't, I I have no idea how that I mean,
0: usually those, those westbound trains on Friday are fairly empty. So I don't know. It just seems like you could kill two birds with one stone doing that, but
2: yeah, I've always been intrigued too, Brendan. I, that we've talked about it many times. Uh, the idea of the scoot trains that, um, would be smaller and, Mm -hmm. you know, might be more frequent, uh, might, you know, could be something, but that's not something the LIRR has ever invested in, right? They're, they're really all about moving large numbers of people from the city to the east end. This local service is really not their, their bread and butter.
3: Yeah. Well, to get back to Annette's question, um, the idea is to cancel all the trains, but the request that's being made is that the railroad continues to run at least one morning eastbound commuter train, and then those commuters would have the option to take the 2:48 pm westbound train mm-hmm. that is a regularly scheduled train and is going to run with or without south River commuter connection service i think that that only serves a, a narrow band of people um, if you really want to alleviate the cars on the road and you want to make a commuter option for people who don't even own cars you're going to have to accommodate people on a nine to five schedule and the commuter connection really hasn't done that yet unless you live in maybe Hampton bays you can get away with it but anybody west of Hampton bays or West Hampton beach can't use this service and to Joe's question we Assemblyman Fred Thiel has been talking about the scoot trains for a very long time I believe I had an article interviewing him about this like over 10 years ago at this point and it would be an investment it would help if there was some you know grant money from the state because the LIRR has other things it wants to spend its money on but instead of having like a huge engine and a couple train cars attached which is what they do now for the commuter connection they could just get an individual train car that has its own engine and if they really needed to they could hook it up to a second car and make it two to serve twice as many people but you could ramp it up and you can ramp it down to serve the amount of people that you expect to take the train and you could use that train at a much lower cost than running these big double-decker diesel trains that they run now that sounds like a really good idea almost like a trolley system kind of it and and the problem is just the the track you know if, if they ever put in a second track you could run the commuter connection trains uh regardless of the cannonball and you could probably run more of them
0: that way too.
2: I wonder, you know, and again, I'm just talking through my hat here. I don't know any of this, but I wonder if sidings rather than a second track might be part of the answer too is that, you know, where you don't necessarily have to run an entire second track to allow for some sidings so that you could pull. And I think that would work better if you had smaller, like scoot train type mm-hmm. things. But that obviously turns into a real coordination situation too. And, and um,
0: I also wonder about right away as I feel like, you know, there's so much development that would the would the railroad even have the yeah, space now absolutely. to add that kind of infrastructure?
2: Good question. I, what I think is reassuring though, Brendan, I think it's, it's true, right? That the numbers have been pretty good for the commuter connection. I mean, the towns have added the, the last mile service where they're getting people from the train stations to where they work which I think is an enormous, you know, step in in making it a a popular, but people are using this, it's, it's, it's got customers.
3: It, it had growing numbers. And when people caught on that they could use it, they loved it. And certain businesses or employers, I should say, because not every employer is necessarily a business it might be a nonprofit, or an institution, they even adjusted their schedules. So their employees could take the train without having to leave early or get in late so you know the big employers are willing to work with the south commuter connection um, so that it becomes practical for more people and the more businesses that do that the more viable it becomes and it doesn't have to be this great losing um, money losing venture as public transportation often is you know, it will probably still need to be subsidized greatly, but not as much the more seats that you can fill.
0: Yeah, it's really something that the Long Island Railroad actually um, allowed this to happen too, because I know that they're they sometimes, you know, they're very reluctant to change that model of moving people in and out of New York City. Um, so it's kind of a testament to them that they actually were able to come up with a, with a way to make this happen, which is a good thing.
2: And, and I'm pretty sure the cannonball on Fridays is, is pretty well packed when it gets in to the region. I, I think it's still a very popular way to get out here from the city. And because of that, I, you know, I, I, I think it, I, there's no question that Commuter Connection has been uh, uh, a real uh, success story, but I, I think we do have to pause here and say that the cannonball might be the one thing that overshadows it. And I, I hope there's some compromise that they can come up with uh, I think it's probably very difficult with, a, with an institution like the LIRR to, to come up with compromises. I don't think they think in those terms. They think in terms of, nope, this is what has to happen. So it's yes or no, yeah. on or off. You know.
0: Well, especially after two years of COVID and ridership being way down, if they see mm-hmm. if they can pack a train going anywhere, that's going to probably be the priority after having probably suffered a lot of uh, financial loss of the lack of ridership in the last two years. Absolutely.
1: Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com
0: 27 Speaks, brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton, carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website, Southamptonsagharborbooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations.
3: Also on the transportation front, we should talk about busing.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that. Yes. Yeah. The, um, the whole idea of how they might, uh, they're looking to change the Suffolk County bus system to more of an on-demand kind of thing. Yeah. I'm really, really
2: fascinated by that. It's, it's, a, it's a really cool system.
0: So, Brendan, you want to explain how um, what the system is they're looking at um, moving to?
2: Yeah.
3: So the broad view is that Suffolk County is studying their bus system to see how it could serve the most people and better serve them. And out west, you might have hourly trains that people use, but it could be more. uh, But a lot of people just don't want to get stuck waiting, you know, for a very long time because the bus is late. However, if you went from running a train every hour to running a train every half hour, it wouldn't be as big of a deal if your bus was late because something's coming. Something will always be coming and more people would take it and you would serve more people that way. Mm -hmm. Out East, we have trains, but very few people take them under any circumstances. So if you're using one pool of money and one pool of buses, what you could do is you could cancel East End buses and you could put them on those western routes mm-hmm. to double the frequency of the western routes but then you would leave people out east with no service at all so you're robbing from peter to pay paul
2: mm-hmm.
3: there is another solution and that is to use these small buses not the big suffolk county buses that we're used to seeing and to have them be on demand so like an uber or a lyft you would have an app or you would have a phone call, phone number to call And you could say i'm here i have to get to there and they will come get you and they will bring you to your destination or close to it Mm -hmm. and that would be the same cost as riding a bus that is on a regularly scheduled route those regularly scheduled buses on the east end tend to always be late which makes it very hard for people to get to work and when they're late, the connections don't line up well. So you might take a bus from Springs to Bridgehampton and then you have to transfer, but the transfer bus doesn't come for a very long time. So what should be a trip of 30 minutes could become a trip of, a, of three hours. That's
0: crazy. Yeah. And a lot of
3: those buses are empty. There were, there were buses that were running loops to Montauk empty. So they finally cut off the Montauk loop for a lot of these buses. So then they could improve service elsewhere. With the on-demand service, Yes, it's costly to run like basically what is a free Uber service, but it's less costly than running empty buses on continuous routes.
2: More environmentally sensitive. To-
3: yes. But
0: it's also, I think it's also really good for um, employees. Like I, th- I think I remember hearing the story of a, a, a personal story of a friend who knew of a woman um, who worked at Cinderella in East Hampton and lived in Springs. And because of the, difficulty of using the public transportation system she was paying to take a cab or an uber every day to work and you know how much the cabs or ubers can be out here and it was ridiculous based on the on the fact of what she was making um the amount of her money that had to go to pay just to have um have a ride to and from work and if the public transportation was available on demand and you didn't have to do a three-hour loop to get from you know get eight miles um you know it's uh, it's going to help probably a lot of uh, a lot of working people too to know, know that they can rely on that system so um, and they're talking about doing this at, both in southampton and in i know that there's in and in, in, in Noyack, there's um, in southampton there is the on demand route is already available right
2: it, they've been piloting it right is that always how it works that they've been running this in some areas mm.
3: there there is a um in a small investigation that Michael Wright did uh, where he determined that a ride from Noyak to downtown Sag Harbor would cost two twenty-five dollars per person on this service. If you were to use Uber at the same time uh, that Mike was getting on the bus and he requested that ride, Uber would be
2: $30.46. Wow. That's a tip. Wow. That's amazing. So there you go. That's amazing. But you know, the one question about this that I have is: Anytime we've done reporting on the bus routes on the South Fork, um, the buses are loaded. Um, they, there are a lot of people who rely on those buses to get to work and to get to, to you know, doctors, and um, they're they're very crowded buses generally. Is there going to be enough of this on-demand service to to just be able to handle the numbers of riders. That's my big question.
3: Well, some routes are gonna stay. The routes that are the most frequently used will be kept
2: if they would still have the big buses. You would
0: routes. almost yeah. pick up with a little like a little bus would take you to the the big meeting point where you would get on the larger bus, I'm guessing, right?
3: That that's an option too. Mm. And you know part of this is like, you know, there's routes that is like, okay. Plenty of people are going east-west, Montauk Highway. There'll be people for that. But then there's certain things where, you know, you have doctor's appointments, where if you don't have a car, you're looking at a three-hour bus trip to get to your doctor's appointment. But if you had an on-demand service, you could be at your doctor's appointment in less than a half hour. So those are not the buses that are full, where people are just running in circles trying to get from A to B, but they have to go to X, Y, and Z first.
0: Yeah. So how I wonder, like, how door-to-door would this bus service be? Like, do you have to get kind of to your, the main road closest to you? Um, or is it a true door-to-door delivery system, do we know?
3: They won't guarantee door-to-door. Uh, they, you know, they try to get as, as close as they can, but, you know, if you're down a private street or something, or. They're not going to come pick you up at the end of your driveway. You've got to compromise with them. But in like for the,
0: I like, I wonder with the Noyack route, the one that Mike was um, writing about and the one that's already in place, do you have to get to Noyak Road if you live on Deerfield, which is a very long road? Or will they come, you know, a half a mile off that road to get you? I'm wondering.
3: As long as it's a main road, they should meet you like a half mile or a quarter mile is a bit far to ask somebody to walk who might you know, might have uh, mobility restraints Mm -hmm. that make that very difficult. I I would just be most concerned if you lived on some like unpaved private road or something. And then
2: I I would anticipate that you're going to have to meet the bus. Yeah. Yeah, I think and I think Mike said in the story that they've been pretty willing to use secondary roads to take people at least Part of the way towards houses, they they they've been flexible about that. And I'm going to guess it's a case by case basis. It Depends on whether they have another another person they have to go pick up. Yeah. You know, time factor. But boy, it's still very convenient uh, as far as the you know for two you know, for less than three dollars, and you can get a trip like that. Um, that's I, I, and the thing about it is, I don't think it'll affect the ride sharing apps because there's still going to be plenty of people who will prefer that option and are willing to pay the premium for it. So I I don't think it hurts anybody and it just adds another level of public transportation at a time we really need it, You know, it'll be really
0: helpful. So I guess the next thing we're looking to is that they're gonna expand this to East Hampton town as well, right? And I guess would that include uh, Montauk and all parts of Springs and East Hampton?
3: I think that that's the idea. you know, it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be full coverage. Uh, You know, some people are still going to need to call an Uber instead of calling the Suffolk County bus. But it's, I would say it's going to be better than what we have now, because what we have now is really not serving people well, according to the reporting that Mike's done, according to the reports from the county. You know, if, if people with regularity are having the experience of their bus is 45 minutes late and that's normal and to be expected then something's got to change yeah
0: yeah well, that's good so we've got some we've made some headway here
2: haven't even talked about the ferry <laughs> which which really is a whole different conversation yeah. and i think has very little to do with commuting and right. more to do with uh recreational use and but maybe that's another podcast
0: so this is the idea of, of of bringing back a ferry that i believe the owners of the hampton jitney had tried um which was actually very popular a number of years ago and it's a a small ferry passenger only that runs between sag harbor and greenport um and that's what they are looking to bring to bring back um and um we had a little uh, pushback this week didn't we
2: yeah, there were some people who who were concerned about the you know using Long Wharf, uh, having that much traffic, you know, having a ferry coming into Long Wharf. But quite frankly, when we were talking about it around the office, uh, you know, it's a it's a harbor, and the harbors boats come in and out of harbors. That's what they do. And this ferry, uh, when it ran, uh, what was it, 2012? I think it's been ten years. I think since they ran the the one summer. Um, I think it, I think there were no issues and I don't think it was considered sort of egregious. Um, I think it, it was a nice addition and, and the, the debate becomes, what's the value added? And I think the value added is really just to allow people to spend some time in each of those two villages if they want to and to have a nice boat ride in between. There's, there's no commuter benefit. There's no, I think it does take some cars off the road and some cars out of parking lots. Uh, I think that's a benefit probably to both of those villages, which are both pretty busy little villages. Um, but it's it's not it's not necessarily solving a transportation problem. It's really just adding um, an economic link between the two villages and, and gives, gives you a chance to spend a day in Sag Harbor and Greenport without having to drive all the way around or to take the two ferries over and back which is yeah
0: this this isn't the kind of ferry that's going to result in a lot of people parking their cars in the village who wouldn't have before you know it's more just you know people from for the day coming over to explore the village and I I took that ferry back in 2012 over to Greenport it was great fun and it yeah it wasn't particularly overcrowded I mean if there were if there were 20 people on the ferry it was a lot Um, and it wasn't cheap so it's not like this is going to be bringing in hordes of people looking you know I don't know it's just it's not it, it's not a cheap option it's like a really you know it's sort of like a planned day trip um and it's also ironic that long worth the whole idea of long worth initially was to move people and goods in and out so the idea that that's somehow not an appropriate use is kind of baffles me um especially I agree after- with you especially after they had just fixed it up and it's got it's beautiful waterfront. And it's like, I mean, the ferry's not that large. And by the way, we do have like hundreds and hundreds of feet of mega yachts sitting there and nobody seems to have a problem with that. Maybe because they're paying really, really, really high end uh, birthing fees. There you go. That's a good point. But I don't, what's the thinking uh, among the village board members? And have we heard much about that?
2: I think the village board has been fairly open to the idea. Um, but it's, that's what the debate is as we speak. And uh, I think they're, they're having those discussions now. And I think there's at least one uh, village board member uh, who has expressed some, some opposition to it. And I guess that's what we'll have to see. I mean, you know, it, it seemed to yeah. be a fairly successful experiment in 2012, but that was 10 years ago. And I think the argument can be made that it's a different time and there are different concerns now. Um, I've always just been sort of intrigued by the fact that I'm surprised that Hampton Jitney came back with the idea because it very clearly must have been uh, at least a break even or a moneymaker for them. And because it wasn't heavily used, I mean, I'd, like you said, I think that the, the ferries that did run were, were never really jam packed all that much, uh, but it must have been financially viable. So um, I don't know. I, I don't live in Sag Harbor, and so I, I will defer to some degree to people who do. But I, but I do think, as you said, Long Wharf is a wharf. I mean, it's supposed to be about boat traffic, and I don't think that this this ferry was, um, in any way, sort of out of scale for for what it was for for what it was being used for. I, I thought it was a nice amenity, and nice amenities are are ways you keep people um, happy, you know, you,
0: you keep people coming. I think, um, and I think the merchants would be really happy, um, to have that crap, that foot traffic. And it is foot track. I, I was, we were in the, um, you know, going into the city a few, a couple years ago, we took one of the ferries that left from like, um, near the Brooklyn bridge and made stops, um, on the, um, on the Manhattan side. It was such a nice way to get across the river, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, and they're not that it's not like they're they're massive. They're not that large. Um, and people can bring bikes on them and, um, you know, there's no cars and I, I don't know, it's just such a, a, a more civilized way than trying to fight over.
2: Nice little boat ride. That's, hey, I like going over to Connecticut on, the, on the, the ferries out of Orient. It's, it's a pleasant ride, you know, it's oh. especially in the summer, it's a nice get to go out in the deck and, you know, it's, it, it adds, Hey, that's an hour and a half of travel that I'm not sitting in my car seat yeah. and I'm actually out moving around and getting some air. It's nice. Well, it is a
3: much different beast when you don't have, when um, you can take your car with you, right? Because that True. ferry to Orient, you're taking your car with you. Mm-hmm.
2: True. And that's, but that's one of the benefits of this is it's, it, it's not relying. It is, it is taking some cars off of the road and out of the parking lots sort of um, obviously they have to park somewhere and they have to be in one of those villages, but uh, I, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I, I I will be curious to see if the village board is willing to go forward with this again. I think that when they did it the first time, I, I think it was a fairly ringing endorsement that they wanted to try it. Mm. I don't think it went badly. So it'll be interesting to see if, if there's some kickback. And I think, as you said, and I think we started to hear a little bit of, push back on the idea this, you know, just in the last couple of weeks. So
3: do you think it's a classist thing?
2: Hmm. I think it may be part of it. I mean, and again, it goes to a larger question that I've been, I've been shouting from the the rooftops lately that I just find it fascinating that there's just been a big change um, for, for the 25 almost years that I've lived here. The attitude has been, not to cater to day trippers or to quote unquote tourists that the entire region was supposed to be catering to people who live here and people who own homes here. But it's a different world now than it was 25 years ago. And those, those delineations are, are different than they used to be. And now you're starting to see some things opening up. You, you saw the, the, uh, the condos at the Shinnecock Canal that were part of the Canoe Place Inn project are now going to be basically hotel rooms. That was unimaginable 20 years ago. There was no desire to add hotel rooms in any way, shape, or form. Um, Now you have this, and and I think this is about catering to a day-tripper slash tourist kind of uh, community. And and, I mean, I think that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just different Mm -hmm. from what we've seen from, from these towns and villages in the past.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So we could park our cars at the train station, take the train out on the commuter connection, jump on a Suffolk County bus on demand that will take you to Long Wharf where you can board a ferry and head over to Greenport. So I think that needs to be the next thing that we make one of our interpretive reporters do.
2: That's absolutely doable probably and and, and would be kind of interesting, yeah. That would be kind of fun, so. I wonder what the total cost would be. That would be fun yeah. too. Hey, that's a good little story. We'll hey, thanks. <laughs> you know, if they would just run
3: more planes between Manhattan and <laughs> East Hampton Airport and make a stop at yeah. South Hampton Helipad.
2: More helicopters. We need more helipads. Yeah. And just
3: charge 275 per, per seat. Yeah, we're helipads. Or can we work a seaplane into
0: this? Our, our interpreter yeah. gets 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 off in Greenport, spends a day in Greenport, gets back on a seaplane that flies them across the um the water back- well
2: by now you know I, I want the t-shirt that says we were promised jet packs because <laughs> we were i mean you know we were supposed to have jet packs by oh,
0: now. could you imagine that oh geez the bad drivers on the road just give them some some uh elevation and boy you're
2: there'd still be some guy up there flying with his blinker on right
0: or following way too close, even though he could go up or down a little bit. <laughs> there you go. So strap on your space pack. It's going to be a bumpy ride.
1: 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. Suffolklaw.com.
0: Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27east.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.